Well, good morning. Once you get your songbooks marked to number 143, if you will, please take your Bibles and place a bookmark in Luke chapter 12. We're going to spend a great deal of time there as we study from God's Word one more time this morning. Luke chapter 12. You know, there are a lot of things that happen during a sermon. I think sometimes it would be interesting to consider all the things that people think about during a sermon. Some may be thinking, I hope he finishes in time because I have a ball game I need to watch on TV. Or others may be thinking about an important meeting they have at their job this week. Some may be thinking, most may be thinking about what they're going to have for lunch after church is over. You may be thinking about problems that are going on with your spouse or your children or with your life. And sometimes we say we want to remove the cares and thoughts of this world, but that can indeed be a challenging thing to do. And as a preacher, you might be tempted to take that personally, that someone would think about something else while I preach. The nerve. But... People did the same thing when Jesus taught. One example of that is found in Luke chapter 12. Jesus here is attempting to share with thousands of people what truly mattered in life. He has warned them not to follow in the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. He tells them, not to fear those who can kill the body, but to fear the one who has power over the soul. He speaks of the value of mankind to God, how we are of much more value than sparrows. God takes care of the sparrows. Will He not much more take care of you? And then He reveals to them their need for courage as they would be called to openly confess His name. And within the midst of all of these very weighty subjects, there's lots of meat being taught here. Somebody in the crowd has the audacity to interrupt Jesus, the master teacher, and to try to get Jesus to settle a family dispute. Luke chapter 12 and verse 13, Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now how much of Jesus' teaching do you think this guy had grasped? You think he had heard a word Jesus said? Probably not. Because he was consumed with his own issues. Jesus had, in a roundabout way, said, possessions are not the most important thing. And he had said, God's going to take care of you. And in response, this man says in a roundabout way, well, yeah, but that doesn't apply to my situation. I want to talk about my problem. 
And Jesus makes it clear, hey, we're not playing that game. That's not my purpose. Verse 14, he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he warns this man. He says, you need to be very careful. You are treading on dangerous ground. Luke 12 and 15, take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. He then illustrates that point with what is commonly called the parable of the rich fool. Beginning of verse 16, it says, Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. We call this the parable of the rich fool. One author has termed this story as the farm that owned a fool. I think that's a very apt description. The farm that owned a fool because that encapsulates the danger of greed, namely that it twists one's thinking to the point to where he is possessed by his possessions. Paul says in the Corinthian letter that we must take control of our thoughts, but so many people let their thoughts control them. There are many places in Scripture where the Lord tells us that we need to take control of our possessions and understand the proper place of money. But instead, so many of us let those possessions take control of us. Greed can warp our thinking so that we remember the wrong things and forget the important things. And that is exactly what happened to the rich fool. He remembered the wrong things. We see this in the text. It is very evident that this is a man who is self-centered. He remembered himself. Just look at the text. He continually speaks in first person about what he has accomplished. He talks about what he now possesses. Just look at 
the language. How many times he says, I will. How many times he speaks about things belonging to him, my crops, my barns, my goods, my soul. It is very clear that his purpose in life is to fulfill his own selfish desires. But that's not an issue in our world today, right? Scripture teaches that this mentality is the natural result for someone who lives only for this life. Ecclesiastes 8 and verse 15, the writer says, So I commended enjoyment, because a man has nothing better under the sun than to eat, drink, and be merry, for this will remain with him in his labor all the days of his life, which God gives him under the sun. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 32 as he teaches there about the resurrection. If the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. If this life is all there is, the Bible makes it abundantly clear that you better get the most you can out of this life. Go have a big time. Why are you here this morning? If this is all there is, Let's go fishing. Do what you want to do. Live it up. Drink whatever you want to drink. Sleep with whoever you want to sleep with. Have no boundaries. Have no limitations. Live your life to excess. If this is all there is. But of course you know, just as well as I do, that we are to live for something more. And that changes our focus, or at least it should. Our motivation should not be self-centered in nature. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3 says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 15 that Jesus died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for Him who died for them and rose again. And so we have responsibilities to one another esteeming others better than ourselves and of course we have a responsibility to God, to the Lord Jesus Christ who died for us and we then in turn are to live for Him. And so our attitude should not be centered on self. In fact, Scripture takes that even a step further, making it clear that if we are centered on self, that's not going to be good. That's not going to be good for us. That's not going to be good for others. That's not going to be good for society as a whole. Being centered on self leads to trouble. James chapter 3 and verse 16, For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. If you read through the book of James... I've been reading the book of James here lately. 
what you're going to find is that all of the problems in chapter 4 and all of the problems through the first half of chapter 5 can all be traced back to the root of selfishness. And that's what James essentially says. If you are selfish, this is what that's going to lead to. This is what that has led to. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2, men will be lovers of themselves. That's a text where there are all of these different sins. And he says, this is what the world's going to come to. And again, all of that is rooted in self-centeredness. You have people who are lovers of themselves, lovers of money. And that leads them to be boastful and proud and so on it goes. There's a story one time about an elementary teacher who asked a little boy what part of speech my and mine were. And the boy responded with, well, I think they are aggressive pronouns. Well, indeed, when our mind revolves around self, we begin to engage in some aggressive activity, some dangerous activity. One has written, when possessions are the goal, people become pawns. You know any companies that are run that way in our day and age? You know any people who have that type of mentality as it relates to their dealings with people. There are many passages in Scripture where greed is mentioned and it is coupled with sins like sexual immorality. If I am just concerned with myself and I have no regard for you, it's not going to affect me to take something from you, whether that be a possession or whether that be a person. Greed often leads people to do immoral things. There are several warnings in Scripture about how greed leads people to teach false doctrine. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 9, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Verse 10, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. They knew what was right, but they also knew that what was right is not what was best for their pocketbook. And so rather than staying with the truth, they strayed from the truth, teaching and practicing those things which were against the law of God. Peter puts it this way in 2 Peter chapter 2, 2 Peter chapter 2 verses 14 and 15. Having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, they have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. That's an Old Testament reference to the prophet Balaam. 
who essentially would tell people what they wanted to hear because Balaam was greedy and he knew that was a way to get ahead financially. And so over and over and over again we see how greed and a a self-centered mentality and a focus on possessions leads people to do immoral things and ultimately in the big picture the greedy will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so this man remembers himself. He also remembers this world. One author has said, this man's plans, which we can read about there in Luke 12 and verse 18, I will pull down my barns and build greater. I will store all my crops and my goods. This man's plans seem to be wise from a purely economic and earthly perspective. He is setting himself up for continued physical success. In fact, He is setting himself up for some rest and relaxation. We might even go so far as to say this is his retirement plan. I'll get all of this built and then I'm going to lay back. I'm going to kick back. I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. The problem in all of this is that he is treating his future as if it were predictable when in reality the future is uncertain. The proverb writer in Proverbs 27 and 1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. James puts it this way in James chapter 4, speaking of our lives... He says in James chapter 4 and verse 13, Come now you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is but a vapor that appears for a short time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance all such boasting is evil. James's point is not, well, if you just tack on if the Lord wills in front of everything, that's okay. His point is, the Lord needs to be involved as you think about your life, as you think about your plans, as you think about what you will do, what you won't do. Because ultimately, man has no control over the future. The possessions that we accumulate may not always be there. We see that. Luke chapter 12, verse 33. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old. A treasure in the heavens that does not fail where the thief does not steal nor moth destroy. Solomon puts it this way in Ecclesiastes chapter 6 and verse 1, There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is common among men, a man to whom God has given riches and wealth and honor, so that he lacks nothing for himself of all he desires, yet God does not give him power to eat it, but a foreigner consumes it. This is vanity, and it is an evil affliction. 
His barns could have been hit by lightning and burned to the ground before morning. Thieves or an invading army could have taken it all from him. Rats could have eaten and polluted his storehouses. Nothing in life is guaranteed except death. Maybe taxes. You think about Job. In one day he lost every physical possession he had. Our focus must shift from the uncertainty of riches. The possessions may not last. But here's the other sad truth. Even if they last, we may not last. We may not be here. And that is what happens to this rich fool. The possessions are still there. But God said to him, verse 20, This night your soul will be required of you. And then all of these possessions you've built up, who gets them then? Not you. The frailty of his own life. The frailty of our own life. This man was not able to enjoy the fruits of his Labor. Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 16, Just exactly as he came, so shall he go. Paul says to Timothy, We brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we will take nothing out. This man had no control over who would possess his goods once he was gone. Psalm 39 and 6, Every man walks about as a shadow. Surely they busy themselves in vain. He heaps up riches and does not know who will gather them. The Ecclesiastes writer put it this way in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Ecclesiastes chapter 2 verse 18, Then I hated all my labor in which I had toiled under the sun, because I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. I've preached a lot of funerals. I've dealt with a lot of families who have lost loved ones. Families of people who were not Christians. Families of people who were members of the church. And I have seen family members squabble and fight and fuss and divide over what belonged to grandma and what should belong to them. I have seen as I'm sure you have. Fathers and mothers who worked for years to build up for their children an inheritance, to build up perhaps a business. And then they pass from this life and within just a short amount of time that inheritance has been spent. That business that was built up has been run into the ground. And then I've seen people who did not have family to leave things to and so their possessions ended up in an auction 
or a court. I think a lot of those possessions end up on the walls at Cracker Barrel. We just have no control once we are gone. In the end, this man had to give an account. And of course, we must as well. The rich fool was weighed in the balance and he was found wanting. And likewise, an emphasis on physical goods to the detriment of our soul will find us lacking. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 26, What profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What will you give in exchange for your soul? Will you give your business? Will you give your job? Will you give your boat? Your house? What possession? is worth losing your soul. Proverbs 11 and 4, Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. And so this man remembered the wrong things. But let me also submit to you that he forgot the right things. There's a whole lot in there about me, myself, and I. There is nothing in what he says about others. He trumpets his own accomplishments. Yet surely, surely, there was someone out there who had helped him to get to where he was. A parent, laborers, family members, a mentor, those who had taught him, those who had worked with him, and yet there is no mention of any of those people. No mention of rewarding them. In addition, certainly there would have been needy people who could have benefited from his generosity, but there's no mention of this either. In this man's mind, there is one beneficiary, and that is himself. But of course, accumulating riches is not a source of eternal joy. Jesus said in Acts chapter 20 verse 35, it is more blessed to give than to receive. But this man's whole attitude was the very reverse of Christianity. Instead of denying himself, he affirmed himself aggressively and repeatedly. Instead of finding his happiness in giving, he tried to conserve his happiness by keeping. The lesson for us is that in our lives, when our possessions take on a life of their own, they can steal our joy rather than adding to it. How much of our life is spent in worrying about or taking care of things? You think about what you worry about and how much of that centers around your possessions. One quipped, America has more things than any other nation in the world and at the same time more books on how to find happiness. And so he forgot others. And then he forgot God. 
The rich fool saw himself as the owner of all that he had. He made no mention of God, failing to understand that everything belongs to God. Psalm 24 and 1, The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. He made no mention of God, failing to understand that all blessings come from God. Look at what I have done. But in reality, James 1 and 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. We've got to see that there is a difference. We could spend a whole lesson on this, but we won't today. There's a difference in being an owner and being a steward. A steward possesses something, but it belongs to somebody else. Ownership implies a title. We have a title to our car or we have a title to our house and so we think we own it. For a lot of us, the bank has a title to our house and so we think we own it. But we need to understand that this ownership is only in relation to our fellow man. It cannot be in relation to God because He owns all. Just because we have a title to things does not mean that we are entitled to those things. Again, think about Job. Job has all of these buildings. Job has all of this livestock. Job has all of these possessions. And yet, in a moment, it was all taken away from him. Just as we came into this world, so we will go. Paul writes that greed is a manifestation of idolatry. Colossians 3 and verse 5, Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth. And he mentions covetousness, which is idolatry. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 14 and 1, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. What greed does is replace God with our own possessions, our own plans, our own pride. How many of us are guilty of that? Back in 1863, President Lincoln said, Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us, We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has grown, but we have forgotten God. That is the exact same thing that Moses warned the children of Israel about. When you enter the promised land, do not forget that it was God who brought you here. The man who makes plans with his possessions and leaves God out has forgotten the most important factor of all, which is fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. The proverb writer in Proverbs 3 and verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. This rich fool was focused on the wrong things and he forgot the things which truly mattered. Certainly, Jesus is suggesting that this was happening to the man who wanted Jesus to settle his family quarrel over money. 
But the parable of the rich fool was not just told to one individual struggling with greed. It was spoken to the entire multitude, which suggests to us that this is a vice that can overtake any of us. Greed comes from the heart and the primary issue is not in quantity. Some of us are saying, I know preacher, but I don't have that much so this doesn't apply to me. That's not the issue. The issue is not how much we have. The issue is in our attitude and in our motives. More is the most sought after destination on earth. Everyone wants more. And so the question for you as we extend the Lord's invitation is where is your focus? If it is on earthly things, you too will allow yourself to become consumed with the pursuit of more. And he who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver. Are we laying up treasures for ourselves? Or are we becoming rich in the eyes of God by laying up treasures in heaven? As we sang just a few moments ago, are we holding on to the Lord? Because that is what is secure. I thank you for your good attention. If we can help you spiritually, why don't you come? Why don't we stand? Why don't we sing?